0: We are still engaged, do you remember, in considering the fifteenth verse in the eighth chapter of Paul's epistle to the Romans? For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry Abba Father. Now, so far we've been concentrating on the first half of this statement, the negative half. We are realizing, I trust all of us, that what the Apostle is doing here from the beginning of the fourteenth verse is to remind us that we are sons of God. Nobody is led by the Spirit of God except one who is a son of God. And he is now giving us the proofs of our being the sons of the children of God. That was the first proof itself, that we are led by the Spirit, but it's not the only one. The second one was that we have known something about the spirit of bondage and of fear. And then the third one was that we have been delivered from that spirit of bondage and of fear. And that is the point at which we've arrived, that as sons of God we no longer are under this spirit of bondage and of fear. We've been delivered from that. It's a negative statement, but it's a very important one. Because to be delivered from that bondage, and to be able to say that once you were under that spirit of bondage and of fear, but that you're no longer there, is a very powerful proof indeed of the fact that we are sons of God. And then we have dealt with uh, certain difficulties and problems that uh, seem to arise in the realm of experience with regard to that statement, with regard to that doctrine. I put certain verses before you which seem to indicate that uh, Christian people were still uh, knowing a certain kind of fear, but we saw that it was a different kind of fear altogether. It wasn't a fear of law, it wasn't a fear of punishment, it was a, a fear of the of offending against the holiness of God, it was a fear of transgressing against love. And then we considered uh, the more subjective difficulties that arise sometimes because of psychological states and conditions and because of the attacks and the onslaughts of the devil upon us. Very well, we I trust have cleared that matter. And therefore we can go on this evening to look at the second half of the verse. And here we are told that not only have we been delivered from that spirit of bondage and of fear, we haven't received that again, but positively we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, here we are dealing with a matter which is essentially positive. It's no longer merely the absence of the old feeling. doesn't stop at that. That's a wonderful thing, to be delivered from the spirit of fear and bondage. Negative mercies and blessings must never be despised. They're very valuable and very wonderful. But we are not left at that. We are given this positive blessing of having the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And this, of course, is a yet stronger proof of our sonship than anything that we have considered hitherto. Because it's positive. It is of necessity stronger. And it certainly is. The apostle is has an ascending scale here. We go up and up and up as we consider his proofs of our sonship. Very well, let's consider what he tells us. The first thing, obviously, that we have to realize is this. He tells us that it is the Holy Spirit that produces this. Uh, The Spirit produces the uh, spirit of adoption and the cry, Abba, Father. Now, we indicated a few weeks ago that the Authorized translation, which I have before me, indicates that clearly by putting a capital S at this point. Ye have received the spirit, capital S, of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. But, uh, again, let's remind ourselves that were there any doubt at all about this, the parallel passage in Galatians 4 really puts the thing beyond any doubt whatsoever. The sixth verse, Because ye are sons... God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son, the Holy Spirit, capital S again, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, you notice that uh, there, there is a very interesting expression. The Apostle says there in Galatians 4, 6, quite clearly, that it is the Holy Spirit himself who cries, Abba, Father. God hath sent forth The Spirit into your, the Spirit of your Son into your hearts crying. It's the Spirit that is crying, Abba Father. But here he says that we have received the Spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba Father. Now there should be no difficulty about this, but sometimes people have felt a difficulty about it. The answer, of course, is this, that there is no contradiction here at all. It isn't that the Spirit cries for himself unto God as Father. It is the Apostle's way of saying that the Spirit in us leads us to cry, Abba, Father. Now, let me give you a parallel to that. There's a perfect parallel in the 26th verse of this 8th chapter of the Epistle to the Romans, which we are now considering, where he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, that doesn't mean that we at that point are doing nothing and that the Holy Spirit is himself groaning. The Holy Spirit never has any need to groan and never does groan, what he means is that the Holy Spirit within us is prompting us and is urging us, and is causing us to groan. We don't know what we are saying. We are emitting groans only, but it is the Spirit within us that is leading us to do that. So, in exactly the same way, when you take Galatians 4.6 with Romans 8.15, you see that what is being taught is, that the Holy Spirit, by his operation within us, leads us to cry, Abba, Father. But it is very definitely and distinctly the operation of the Spirit that leads to this. It isn't we ourselves. It is the Spirit prompting us, urging us, leading us, and giving us so many reasons for doing this. Very well, there is our first point. And, of course, we have to emphasize it in order that we may preserve the parallel which we've got in the um, two sections of our verse. It was the Spirit that produced the feeling of uh, bondage and of fear. The Spirit himself doesn't know that, but he produces that. His operation leads to that. And in exactly the same way on this other side, it is he who leads us uh, to uh, this disposition, this feeling, and to the cry of Abba, Father. Very well, there is the first point. But secondly, let us look at the nature, or if you prefer it, the character of the proof that is provided by the Spirit in this way of our sonship, this spirit of adoption. Now, it's important that we should be quite clear about the nature and the character of this and I'm emphasizing this particular point because I find that so many of the commentaries rarely, in my opinion, miss it altogether. Uh, so many of them, you will find, interpret this in terms of what we've already dealt with in verse 14. Uh, you see, where we are told that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And they imagine that what we've got here, that the expression of this spirit of adoption and so on is, Well, that uh, we have the results of being led with the Spirit. But that would be uh, a kind of tautology. It would be a mere repetition. There'd be no advance in the thought at all. And we would not be given a stronger reason here for uh, for knowing our sonship. And the apostle doesn't do that sort of thing. He's advancing. So uh, I'm concerned about the nature and the character of the proof that we're dealing with. And therefore I put it negatively like this. This spirit of adoption which cries, Abba, Father, is not a deduction. It isn't something that you deduce from various tests. Now, we convinced ourselves that we were sons of God because we were led by the Spirit by applying some nine or ten tests, you remember, to ourselves. And we deduced, therefore, that we were being led by the Spirit. And because we were led by the Spirit, we were sons. But that was a process of deduction. Now, this is not a process of deduction here. This isn't something that is deduced from the truth. And it isn't merely another way of saying that we're being led by the Spirit. That, of course, is right, and that's why we gave emphasis to it. And that is why we spent time on it. But this goes well beyond that. Well, what is this? Well, this is something subjective. This this is essentially... Something which is more in the realm of feeling and subjectivity, more in the realm, if you like, of the emotions. It is something within us which is on a deeper level than the level of the intellect. Now that seems to me to be the vital point in this statement with which we are dealing. In other words, this is not something that you produce by doing anything. It is the Spirit that produces it in you. It isn't something that you persuade yourself about. Now you can persuade yourself that you're being led by the Spirit by applying the tests and so on. But that isn't what's happening here. This isn't in the realm at all of the intellectual argumentation or demonstration. It is something that one's conscious of. Indeed, it is to use the obvious and the simple analogy at this point. It is comparable to what we know in human love. You don't persuade yourself that you're in love. At least if you have to, you're not in love. Uh, This is not a matter of persuasion. This is a matter that you know, you're conscious of. It's on a deeper level than the level of intellect and of reason and of argumentation. Now this is to me a very, very vital principle. It not only demonstrates the advance in the thought, but it does show us the graciousness of God in giving us these further proofs and what I venture to call these yet more certain proofs. So the nature of this proof that we are dealing with is thoroughly subjective. And uh, it is there produced, I say, by the operation of the Holy Spirit. Now then, What is it? That's our third point. What is it? Well, the first thing he tells us is that it's a spirit of adoption. What does this mean? Well, in general it means this. It is a consciousness of the fact that we have been adopted into the family of God. Now, I'm saying that it is a consciousness of it. It isn't merely a belief of it. We dealt with that as we were expounding verse 14. As uh, sons of God, we are not only regenerate, we are not only born again. Over and above that, we have been adopted into God's family. Now, the whole notion of adoption, let me remind you, carries with it a legal element. It it, it carries the connotation of a standing and of a position. It was a, a Roman term... It was something with which they were familiar in the Roman world. It wasn't common amongst the Jews and in Palestine, but it was a very prominent feature of Roman life. You adopted a person into your family and you had a legal document. The thing had to be done legally, so that the person adopted knew that he'd got a standing. Now, the apostle is concerned about that particular term. And what we, I say, first of all, have to believe is this teaching, that we are not only given a new nature, But we are, in truth and in fact, members of the household of God. We have been adopted by God into his family. Now that's a doctrine that is taught here. Remember I gave you the scriptures, you've got it at the beginning of Ephesians 1, the first chapter of Ephesians, verses 3 and 4. It's there, and it's in these other places. Now that's what it means. Now then, what the apostle is saying here is, Not merely that we believe that and accept that with our minds, but that we are conscious of it. We feel it. The spirit of adoption is in us as the result of this work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, under this heading of what it is, he's really telling us here that we feel, and I'm emphasizing feeling that in this sense we are like our Lord himself. Now I go back again to Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, says the apostle, because we are sons, God hath sent forth, he doesn't say the Holy Spirit, but he says the Spirit of his Son, into your hearts. Now why does he put it like that, you think? Well, I think it's deliberate in order to bring out this notion that we are conscious of the fact that as the result of this action of God in the adoption of us, we have in one sense a standing in the sight and in the presence of God, of his own Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there are other statements which confirm this. Do you remember our Lord's high priestly prayer in John 17? Well, in the 23rd verse you read this. He is anxious that... God should so deal with these followers of his, that the world may know that thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That is, I venture to assert, one of the most astounding statements in the whole of the Bible. That the world might know that thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. We can never be told anything higher than that. If God loves us as he loved his only begotten Son, there's nothing beyond that. That is what our Lord prays for. And therefore, that is the thing I am suggesting we have here in this spirit of adoption. That we are aware of that. That God, as it were, has put us alongside his Son. Now, there are many other statements that confirm this. Take those uh, statements that we were reading at the beginning there in the second chapter of uh, the epistle to the Hebrews. where the whole emphasis is on this selfsame point, you remember. We, we, it's put like this to us. He is the captain of our salvation. Both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Behold, I and the children which God hath given me. And then, for as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Why? Well, because he is our brother. He's become, he's made himself our brother. He is, as we are told later on in this 8th chapter, the firstborn amongst many brethren. It's almost impossible to grasp this, and yet it is the teaching that uh, this is one of the marvelous things that happens to us in redemption, that we rarely are children of God, members of his family, and in this extraordinary sense, brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the spirit that we have within us, this spirit of adoption, is the spirit of his own Son. The feelings of the Son as our mediator to the Father are to be the same feelings that you and I should be aware of. It is the spirit of his own Son that is put into us, and that is the spirit of adoption. So that we feel, we know this in the depth of our being that we have been put alongside our blessed Lord himself in this matter of sonship. Now, I'm saying that it is his character as mediator, not the eternal sonship. He is the only begotten son. We are only adopted. Yes, but as adopted, we have this feeling of sonship that he had in his mediatorial capacity. So that as he addressed his father, we are to address his father in the same way. That's the second thing. Thirdly, under this heading of what it is, I would emphasize this. That it is uh, intensely concerned, uh, I say once more, with our feelings towards God. It isn't merely that we believe the teaching of the Scriptures about these things. It goes beyond that. We really know it. We feel it. Now, again, remember there's variation always in the intensity of feeling. But uh, I am asserting that there must be something of this feeling if we really have got the spirit of adoption. Or let me put it like this to you. It is not merely that we are conscious of the fact that God is blessing us and God is gracious to us. That's a very wonderful thing, isn't it? And that is a part of the proof of our sonship. Any man who knows that God is blessing him is a man who knows that he is a child of God. But it is merely that we are conscious that God is dealing kindly and graciously with us and blessing us. It goes beyond that. Well beyond that. It involves our feelings with regard to the God who is so blessing us. It's a definition of our response to him. You see, you can be conscious of God's gracious dealings with you without being conscious of the spirit of adoption. You can say, yes, I know God is blessing me in this unusual manner. But so far, you're looking out, as it were, at what God is doing to you. But here, what is emphasized is, is your feelings that rise up to God. Take the way John puts it in his first epistle We love him, says John, because he first loved us. The first thing we become conscious of is the fact that God loves us. Now, you can be conscious of that and believe that and know that without at the same time being able to say that you also are aware of this love in yourself toward him. That's the kind of distinction that I'm making. And here the emphasis is entirely upon our reciprocation, if you like, upon our response to our realization of God's blessing upon us. And it is a matter that is in the realm of our feelings, our subjectivity. Very well, let's go on a further step. Number four, how does this spirit of adoption which is thus within us in the depths, how does it show itself? How does it express itself? And here, I think the first answer is this. The uh, feelings that we find rising within us as uh, we read the statements of the scriptures with respect to our relationship to God as his children. What I mean is this. We all know from experience what it is to read these great and glorious statements and to accept them with the mind, and indeed to feel that they're very wonderful. But our statement tonight goes beyond that. This spirit of adoption means that they warm your heart as well as kindle your mind and imagination. They move you, and you're aware of being moved. As a child is moved when he is aware of an expression of affection on the part of the parent. So that's a very good way of testing whether you've got the spirit of adoption. I say not only that you accept them, not only that you, as it were, delighted them with your mind, but you are aware of something heartwarming. Very difficult to put these things into words, isn't it? But you know, the same thing can be true of Preaching. It is possible for us to enjoy preaching from the standpoint of uh, intellect, analysis of a portion of scripture, working out the details, the exposition. That can be done well, it can be done badly, take a case in which it's done well. Uh, You sit and listen to it and it gives you great satisfaction, it can give you great pleasure. But you know, it can be something purely intellectual. Intellectual. It can be a kind of display. And while you enjoy it, and while you might like to hear that sort of thing very frequently, it never gets further than that. Oh, how different it is when you feel that the truth which is thus being put before you, somehow or another is coming in a very personal way to you, and it moves you. It melts you. It may cause you to weep quietly and silently. Not of necessity weeping. But what's talked about here is this melting, this moving. Why? Well, because you know that it's true about you. It was wonderful as a concept, wasn't it? That God, the infinite and the eternal God, should adopt people who'd been born in sin and shapen into iniquity, that he should adopt them into his family. Well, it's a, it's a very wonderful and a very thrilling thought. But if, as long as it's in the mind only... It lacks this most vital quality, this quality that comes in and makes you know this is true of me, and it humbles you, and it moves you, and it melts you. So it partly shows itself in that way. It's a response, and a response of the depths of the person to these glorious, wonderful statements that are being made concerning it. But secondly, it is a feeling, a general feeling which we have within us of our new relationship to God. Now it means this, that we become aware that we've got certain filial feelings within us with respect to God. In other words, we no longer merely believe in God and only believe in God, that's something that should be true of everybody. And it's because a man has been worked on by the Holy Spirit that he comes to do that truly. But here is a man, you see, who goes beyond that. He's not only orthodox, he is orthodox, but he goes beyond orthodoxy. There is a feeling of love toward God. He delights in God. He knows something about enjoying God. The chief end of men is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, says the answer to the first question in the Shorter Catechism, you remember. But remember, the enjoy him, enjoy him. Not only believe in him, believe about him, but enjoy him. Now this this is included here. This man delights in the Lord. He enjoys the fellowship of God and he longs for him and for an ever greater and a deeper knowledge of him. Now, this is something that you are conscious of in this condition, when perhaps you're not even reading the scriptures at all, but you're just sitting. You may be meditating, or you may not even be meditating, you may be just sitting, and it comes to you. The consciousness of it comes to you. Something that happens, a phrase comes back, a a verse comes back, and you are reminded at once, of your relationship to God. You've got a sense of uh, rest and some security. You just have a feeling that uh, you're in God's hands and that God's your Father and that nothing can really harm you. You may get it when everything's going well. You'll get it still more when things are going wrong. The feeling that underneath are the everlasting arms. You can't define it. You just know it's true. You know they're there and that nothing will ever be allowed really to harm you. Because you're a child of God, and because God is your Father. Um, several Friday nights ago we were looking at it from the other end, and considering what is true of us because God is our Father, what he does to us. Now we're looking at it all from the other angle. This man knows that. He feels it. He's conscious of it. So he, he's got a sense of rest, and of peace, and of quiet within That's an expression of this spirit of adoption. But, of course, the supreme manifestation of this is the one that the apostle emphasizes so particularly in the phrase that we are examining together. Here is the supreme manifestation of it. We have received, he says, the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now then, what does this mean? Well, this, of course, is definitive of our approach to God, the way in which we approach God, and in particular, of course, our prayer life. Let's examine it, let's analyze it. Take, first of all, the term itself. This spirit of adoption, he says, is something whereby, as the result of which we cry, Abba, Father. Now, take these two words, Abba, Father. What do they mean? Why have we got the two words? There are those who have said, well, the explanation is quite obvious. The word Abba is an Aramaic word, the language that was used freely in Palestine in the time of our Lord. It's an Aramaic word. Whereas the word here translated Father, was in the original in Greek, and it is the Greek word for father. So he uses two words, Aramaic and Greek. What's he saying? Well, this say is what he's saying is this. It's just his way of saying that God is not only the father of the Jews, but he's also now father of Gentiles who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's just a way of saying that it doesn't matter what nationality you belong to. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is your father. So it's another way of saying Jew and Gentile. Well, of course, that is perfectly true. But it seems to me to be quite clear at the same time that that by no means exhausts the meaning of why these two words are used here. The words are, the Abba is, as as is said, an Aramaic word, and the other is the translation of the Greek. But why do you think the apostle puts the two in? He isn't concerned at this point to say that it's for all nations, while it's perfectly true. Well, what is he concerned to say? Well, what he's concerned to say, surely, is this. This word Abba was the word that was used familiarly by children in addressing their father. It's like the word "papa." That's exactly the word. Uh, Children use these terms. A little child doesn't address his father as father. He has these terms, papa, dabber, dad. Now, that's the kind of word that this word abba is. It was a child's word, a familiar word. A little child lisping it, expressing it when he sees his father. And it seems to me that that is the main reason why it is used. It was the instinctive word that the apostle himself had used, and that all children belonging to the Jews had used so constantly. But still more important, it seems, is this, that any slave amongst the Jews was never allowed to use this term with regard to a free man. That distinction had been preserved. Now, whether it's right or wrong doesn't matter at all. But it was a fact that that was the custom amongst the Jews. It was only the children of the free men who was allowed to call this person father. The slave children were not allowed to use the term. So then you see it has a very interesting significance here. The apostle is reminding us that we are no longer our slaves. We've no longer got the spirit of a bondage against a fear. And the spirit of bondage is the spirit of a slave. He says we finished with slavery. We are now entitled to use the term Abba. What a transformation. Cutting right across something and another way of emphasizing that we are no longer under the spirit of bondage and of fear. But of course the most significant light that is cast upon this expression Abba Father is that which you find in the Gospel according to St. Mark chapter 14 and verse 36. Our blessed Lord in the garden of Gethsemane. And this is what you read. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. These are the very words used by our Lord in the agony in the garden of Gethsemane. In the moment of what was perhaps his chiefest agony. These are the words he used when he was sweating those drops of blood This is the cry that he uttered, Abba, Father. The very cry that the apostle here says comes out of the heart of the one who has been adopted as a child of God. Very well, there is the term itself, Abba, Father. But let's notice this other word, the word cry. We have received, he says, the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now this is a most important word, this. It's a very strong word, and the apostle has used it clearly, quite deliberately. What does it connote? Well, here's its meaning. It means a loud cry. Some of the authorities tell us that its origin really comes from the screeching of a certain kind of bird. It's a kind of vociferation. In other words, it expresses deep emotion. Now, this isn't my idea at all. I'm just giving you now what the lexicographers, these men who approach the meaning of words in a thoroughly scientific and cool and detached manner, what they tell us is the meaning of this word, the word the apostle chose deliberately. It's a very profound word, a loud cry, expressing deep emotion. It expresses fervency, earnestness, importunity. Now then, There is the meaning of the word cry, and the two are brought together. We cry, Abba, Father. What does it imply, therefore? Now, here is the significant thing for us. It obviously, in the light of all that we've seen, implies a real knowledge of God. I mean by that that it's, that God is no longer to us a distant God. Everything about these expressions, cry, abba, father, every one of them means that is, we are speaking to somebody whom we know. Not a distant God. Not merely a God that we believe in intellectually, theologically, theoretically, doctrinal. We do all that of course, but it doesn't stop at that. A man can do that, you know, and not be a child of God at all. There is such a thing as a mere intellectual ascent to truth. There isn't something which is a purely academic kind of belief. That isn't what he's talking about. He has chosen terms which preclude such a definition and insist upon this other emphasis. No, no, he's no longer a distant God. He was. And while he is that, you've got the spirit of bondage and of fear... Obviously. But what the apostle is rejoicing in is this, that we are delivered from the spirit of bondage and of fear. And the first proof of it is this, that God is no longer someone in the distance. He's a God whom we know. He's a God to whom we've been brought nigh, as Paul puts it in Ephesians. He says, you were afar off. You've been made nigh, brought nigh. To whom? To God, by the blood of Christ. In other words, he says the relationship subsisting now is that between child and parent. God is no longer away in the heavens somewhere. He is there, but to the the child he's not there, he's near. He approaches him as a child, and how does he speak to God? Well, again, all that he's telling us in these terms describes exactly the way in which he speaks to God, the way in which he prays. How does he do it? Well, he doesn't do it in a formal manner. He doesn't do it in a mechanical manner. He doesn't do it in a cold manner. I sometimes think, you know, that this is enough as far as I'm concerned about liturgical services. You've no notion here of some beautiful, dignified service. It's a child we're looking at. There's no dignity in a child, still less pomposity. Oh, no, no, it's not cold, it's not formal, it's not mechanical. There's nothing dignified about the term Abba. As I've been showing you, it's almost the reverse of it. It's a very interesting thing, you know, to notice. That as men and women know less and less about a living spiritual experience, the more formal does their worship become. Have you noticed it? There's been a great tendency during this century, and it's increasing, to introduce liturgical forms. Why? Because of the low level of spirituality. Conversely, whenever you get a person with a living experience of God, they rely less and less upon forms. Even in Roman Catholicism, Read of some of their saints. Read of people like Madame Fenelon. Archbishop Fenelon and Madame Guion. Madame Guion and Archbishop Fenelon and people like that. Other, other persons who undoubtedly had an evangelical and living experience of grace and of salvation. And Pascal and that, that company. You'll find that they paid less and less attention to forms and got into trouble over that. No, no. The more formalized your religion... The more dead it is always, the less spiritual it is. But here the emphasis is being put the other way around. Oh, this man who's got the spirit of adoption, he doesn't pray in a formal, mechanical, cold manner. What is it then? Well, it's spontaneous. The spontaneity of the child who sees the father and says, Abba. Not only spontaneity, but confidence. That little child has got confidence doesn't analyze it; is incapable of analyzing it. But the child knows that this is his father. Grown-up people may be standing back at a distance, using great deference, observing the forms. The little child comes running in and rushing and holding onto its father's legs or trousers, of course. It's got confidence. It knows it's got a right to do that that nobody else has got. Not a matter of argument or logic or understanding. This instinctive thing. The confidence born upon the knowledge that is deeper than words, deeper than understanding itself. The heart, says Pascal, has its reasons that reason knows nothing about, thank God. And that's what he's emphasizing, confidence. But not only confidence, warmth, affection, rejoicing, happiness. We have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Don't you hear it? The warmth, the affection, the exuberance, the rejoicing, the child in the presence of the loving Father. That's what he's talking about. But also, at times, there is another element that comes in. Times of crisis. Times of difficulty. Times when things are going wrong. Little child in the street. Bully comes along. And the child gives a screech. Father. Illness. Accident. Something going wrong. And from the depth comes this cry. That's the content of the word cry you remember. It's this deep elemental cry. Oh Go to Gethsemane, look at it there. There's our Lord in his agony. It was there in his agony when he saw this cup, the drinking of which was essential to man's salvation, and which meant his separation. It was that that produced this elemental cry from the depth of his being, Abba! Father! And the child knows something about that. Groaning. Groaning at times. Especially when he seems far away or when we are in some crisis or some difficulty. Wrestling, it includes that pleading. It's all here. Now then, there is the content of this. We have received this spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's all right. It's always done with reverence and godly fear. The person who does all this always remembers who his heavenly Father is. But there's no contradiction, you see. To your cold theologian, there may be contradiction. There isn't to the child. The two things are perfectly compatible. Look at the author of the epistle to the Hebrews put it. Let us come boldly, therefore, he says, unto the throne of grace. God is our consuming fire. He is a consuming fire, he says later on. Yes, but we can come boldly, with full assurance of faith, with confidence. And this is how this child feels with respect to God. That is how he speaks to him. And that, says the apostle, is the spirit that we have received. It isn't merely negatively that we've been delivered from the spirit of bondage and of fear. We have this spirit of adoption that makes us cry, Abba, Father. It is only those who are sons of God and who know that they are who can ever speak like this and ever feel like this in the presence of Almighty God. Nobody else can. You can't persuade yourself to do it. You'll never persuade yourself to say, Abba, Father. If you try to, you'll find that the words will freeze on your lips. They won't get any further. You can't persuade yourself to do this, as I've reminded you. But you'll find yourself doing it. And you'll be almost amazed at yourself. It is only the child of God who cries, Abba, Father. Therefore, if you've ever known yourself crying, Abba, Father, you can be certain that you're a child of God. It's impossible to anybody else. And secondly... It is only done, of course, through our blessed Lord and Savior himself. You can believe in God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never know him as your Father. He said so, didn't he? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. You can come to the Creator with your mind. You can come to the dispenser of great gifts with your intellect and understanding. You'll never come to the Father except in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and except God sends his spirit into your heart. But when he does so, the cry comes welling up out of the depths, Abba, Father. Christian people, how much do we know of this? This is real Christianity. Isn't it extraordinary that so little attention is given to this? Why? Well, you see, we're all interested in our activities. How can I be delivered from this sin? How can I have guidance? How can I have this or that? That's the way we approach these things, isn't it? And we miss the most glorious thing of all. The most glorious thing is our personal relationship to God. That's the thing. And so, you see, we have our movements for this and that, to get rid of my sin, get rid of my problem, how I may have a nice feeling. I feel I'm no longer doing that. It doesn't tempt me. All right, I'm I'm not saying anything against it in a sense. Only this, that if it comes between you and this, you're missing the most wonderful thing of all. The whole ultimate object of salvation is not merely to keep us from hell, not merely to deliver us from certain sins. It's this adoption, is that we might become the children of God and the joint heirs with Christ that he's going to speak of. This, to know God intimately as your Father and to cry, Abba, Father, have you ever known it? This is the thing that is offered us in the Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God forbid that any of us should stop at any point short of this. Our time has gone again, God willing. I hope next Friday night to go on and to consider how one comes to this position if one is not already there. Can we do anything about it? Yes, we can. We've already been doing a lot about it tonight. To know about the possibility is a great thing. There are so many who don't even know that. They're stopped content. They've been saved. All is well. They just maintain that, they say. Abba, Father. Well, God willing, we shall go on to consider it. But examine yourself, my dear friend. This is one of the most glorious proofs of sonship. Over higher than anything we've so far considered. And yet... Blessed be the name of God, it isn't the end. We haven't finished, there's still more to come. Let us pray. When all thy mercies, O my God, my rising soul surveys, transported with the view I'm lost in wonder, love, and praise, that thou, O great and eternal God, should stoop to this level, not only to adopt us into thy family, but to give unto us this spirit of adoption and to allow us to call thee Abba Father. O Lord, forgive us that we are so prodigal in our experiences, many of us. Not in our actions, perhaps, but in our spirits. O God, forgive us if we feel that thou art far away and distant and unknown. Forgive us for the coldness of our worship, for our slowness to pray, for the lack of praise and adoration and rejoicing in thy presence. O Lord, grant unto all believing men and women the spirit of adoption, that they may have the joy and the glory of crying, Abba, Father. We ask it. For we realize that we can only ask it in and through thy dear Son, our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit abide and continue with us. Now this night, throughout the remainder of this hour, short and certain earthly life and pilgrimage, and until we shall know, even as already we are known. Amen. We do hope that you've been helped by the preaching of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. All of the sermons contained within the MLJ Trust Audio Library are now available for free download. You may share the sermons or broadcast them. However, because of international copyright, please be advised that we are asking first that these sermons never be offered for sale by a third party. And second, that these sermons will not be edited in any way for length or to use as audio clips. You can find our contact information on our website at mljtrust.org. That's mljtrust.org.